Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you'd like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. I'm going to invite you to go to 1 Peter. I'm going to be straight with you. I was planning on finishing 1 Peter today. I thought I'd knock out the entire chapter, but then I changed my mind. So we're only going to look in four verses today. (laughs) All right. And um, as I was preparing, the first four verses of chapter five just really um, became more and more important as I read the pages. And I realized this is not just important to the audience that this was written to. This is really important to the entire congregation, which is why it's in this letter in the first place. And so I want to take some time to talk about what a good shepherd is. So today's uh, sermon title is A Good Shepherd. And when we think of a good shepherd or just a shepherd in general, we think of green pastures. We think of, you know, kind of what we see on the screen there, beautiful trees, a nice stream maybe, and this beautiful picture of where the sheep should live, right? And a good shepherd generally looks for those things. And I don't know if any of you guys have any kind of experience with sheep. Uh, my parents own uh, some, some land up in a country called Guatemala. <laughs> and uh, I've had a chance to go and, and, and spend some time there. And I actually had also an opportunity to spend some time with one of my cousins there that is a shepherd. And he goes out and he shepherds a flock and got to learn about the sheep. And so it's very interesting to see the description that we have of the church, you know, and church leadership compared to a flock and a shepherd. And so today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about qualities of a good shepherd. But before we do that, I do want to go back and look at a bird's eye view of what we've already seen in 1 Peter. Because this isn't in here randomly. You would think that this this passage about leadership and, and a good shepherd might be there kind of just as a random topic in this passage. But no, it makes perfect sense as to why Peter would include this here. And so I want to just do a quick bird's eye review of what we've read so far. And so, uh, so far, Peter begins the letter with the gospel. He talks about Jesus's death and resurrection, and he assures us of the living hope that we have ahead of us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that he rose from the dead changes everything for a Christian. And so he starts by that and pointing to the living hope. And it's very interesting that he's doing this because we'll know that the rest of the, 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 the book of, of, or the letter of First Peter talks a lot about trial and suffering. But he first starts with, hey, this is the gospel message. This is what makes everything so important in the first place. Okay, Jesus rose from the dead. We have a living hope. And this is not it. We have something that's promised ahead of us to look forward to. Now, when you have that finish line in mind, then it's easy to run the race. For who runs a race knowing that there is no finish line? That'd be foolish, right? That'd be, I don't even know why you would do that, except for you're a little bit crazy, right? But, but athletes, but marathon runners, you know, they run a race because there's a finish line. And at the end of that finish line, it's a prize. Even if you don't get first place, the satisfaction, that gratification that you have of finishing the race, race is huge. How many of you guys have ever done anything like that? A marathon, half marathon or anything like that? Yeah, it's, it's hard work. You know, but it's so satisfying the moment you get across the finish line. And so he starts with this because the rest of it gets a little bit hairy. uh, I said hairy, heavy and practical. (laughs) 
Um, and so he starts with that sense of encouragement that we have a living hope ahead of us. And then in chapter 2, he emphasizes the, important, the importance of being fed spiritually. As Christians, we need to crave the Word of God. We need to constantly be longing for God's Word, His truth, because essentially that's what build us, builds us up. That's exactly what causes us to be like a block that's part of a fortress, Christ being the cornerstone. Do you remember when we talked about Christ the cornerstone, how everything's just founded on him? And aside from him, apart from him, we're just stones, I guess you can say, as is described here. But we can become a part of this fortress, something that's impenetrable as long as we're well grounded in Jesus Christ. So he goes on from there. And then he goes to instruct Christians to live and behave in a way that exemplifies Christ. And then he gets very practical. He gives extremely practical um, uh, instructions on how to live as a Christian. So he says we ought to be subject to our governing authorities, submissive to those who rule over us. He says that we also ought to be subject to our employers, to our masters, as described here. He also said that wives are to be subject to her, their own husbands and the husbands ought to honor their wives. And so we have these very practical instructions as to, okay, Peter, why are you giving these instructions? Again, we're preparing for something. Peter is going through this very important message is that there's a trial ahead of us. And for them, it wasn't like the trials that we face here. We're talking about a trial that, it, it, that is in a sense extreme. You know, we face trials and hardships, but I don't think any of us could say that the government has turned against us. All right, well, maybe we can say that nowadays, <laughs> but in a sense that we're being persecuted and we're actually uh, public enemy number one, and the punishment is death or severe physical um, punishment. This is the situation that they're in. And so we ought to be subject, despite of our persecution, which really is a head scratcher if you ask me, but it makes perfect sense because that's exactly what Jesus, how he, Jesus responded when he was in trial. He was submissive. He was like a lamb, right, in, at the slaughter. He did not push back. He did not fight. He understood the mission at hand. And he is the perfect example that we have to be able to move forward and to be able to know how to respond to tough times. He also instructs us to have unity of mind as people that uh, represent Christ. And to represent Christ well, we need to be united in the gospel. A lot of Christians have different differences in opinion, right? But nevertheless, we are united by the gospel message, and that's very important. That exemplifies Christ. It represents Christ very well, um, as long as we're majoring in the majors and minoring in the minors, because we'll always have those differences, but nevertheless to be united in the gospel. And that we should also be good regardless of our trying conditions. And he says, behave in a way that is good. Now, that's a very hard thing to do when you're being pressed. When you're being pressed, when you're, uh, when you're being challenged, when you're being, um, you know what I'm trying to say. People poke at you. It's really hard to respond with doing good. Instead, what do we do? <laughs> we blow up and we do something that perhaps is regretful. And Peter says, do good. He says, be holy, be set apart, not just positionally, but practically. Be different, 
You ought to look different. You ought to behave different. You're representing Jesus Christ after all. And then he also encourages us to make the most of the rest of the time that we have here because tomorrow is not guaranteed, right? And so whatever time we have left, let's make the most of that for the glory of God. And so he also says, gird up the loins of your mind, prepare for action, all right? In other words, it's kind of like military language is, hey, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna get it done. We're not just sitting here, we're not just hoping in him, that's a big part of it, we're also gonna be doers of what the word of God says and be examples of Jesus Christ because suffering is inevitable, because suffering is not just unavoidable for them, it is there, it's here. Caesar Nero is going to come after us. And whatever Caesar Nero may be for you, we all have those persecuting agents. We all have those trials. And if you take a step back and you think about what Peter's actually trying to say here is trials are coming. We have a hope that's ahead of us. So remember, this is very temporary. This is just for a little while. All right. And the little while that we're in here, we're going to give it all we've got for the glory of God. Right. And then he gets into this final chapter. And he gives instructions for elders and leaders. Why? This is interesting. Again, it's not random. He's bringing us to speed as far as trials, as far as the living hope that we have ahead of us. But you will know, and you've, you've watched several movies, in order for there to be a movement of people who rise against persecution and trial, there tends to be a leader who motivates them, who inspires them. For how can you expect the people to give it all? to surrender, you know, to, 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 to persecution, right? Without someone to stand with them, to lead them, to be steadfast, to remind them of God's truth, to encourage them in the midst of trial and persecution. Before every movement, there's a leader that has to stand firm, right? Who believes in the mission and says, we must do this. You've, you've seen Braveheart. You've seen uh, the story of William Wallace, right? You've seen the courage of these leaders that go out and they, and they represent their nation and they motivate people, they mobilize people to do and fight uh, for their king and country, let's say. You've seen that. I, I don't think I must say more of that. But see, Peter's bringing it up because leadership is not just important, it is necessary. And we see it throughout the entirety of the scriptures, beginning from Moses. Moses was present in the battles. There was, there was days where he would get tired of just raising his hands and people would help him, right? His, his friends would help him just raise his hand because he knew that he needed to be there. He knew that he was a sense of encouragement, of inspiration to people. He was the one who communicated with God and people were inspired through him. Joshua, same thing. These were not men who sent guys out to die. They were there, they were present, they were willing to go out before them. And so this is the type of leader that the Lord requires. This is the type of leader that the Lord um, uh, is, is blessed by. And so this is why Peter brings this up is because, hey, we're, we're calling you to do something pretty hard, all right? And if we're gonna do something pretty hard, you're gonna need leaders. And so today we're gonna talk about that, leaders, good leaders. Now this is a season where you drive around and every street corner has a sign, someone who's running for office somewhere, right? Senate, governor, etc. Everyone wants a leadership role. Well, not everyone, but you could see that people are fighting for that, right? People believe themselves to be a good leader. And then the, the public's job is to evaluate them. 
is to say whether or not that person will make a good leader according to several variables, values, character, etc. right? And so what we need to do and what we need to understand as a church is that God has specific qualifications for leadership. And this is very important for us because otherwise we have the potential of getting trapped in situations that are not godly under the authority or leadership of someone who's not leading according to God's will in the name of Jesus. That's dangerous, right? And so as a congregation, it is very important for us to know whom God calls and the qualifications for that person. Amen? Which is why I thought, oh, I think I need to spend more time on this. I can't just breeze by this, right? And I'm hoping that many of you guys have a general understanding of what's required of a leader, uh, a spiritual leader, a pastor, an elder, a bishop. We'll talk about that here in a second. Because times of persecution demand that God's people have an adequate spiritual leader. And again, persecution trials are inevitable. Fiery trials are at hand. Everyone will go through it. It demands a leader. Now, you guys are probably all aware of who um, Vladimir Zelensky is. He is the president of, president of Ukraine. And I, I love when something that came out of him when this when invasion first started from Russia, um, several nations offered him a ride out. They thought, hey, we'll pull you out of this threat and then you could lead from afar, right? In the, from the safety of whatever safety they can offer him. And, and, and Zelensky's answer was so good in my opinion. He said, I don't need a ride, I need more ammunition. That is a trait of a good leader. Someone who's willing to walk in the trenches to fight the fight, to be that sense of encouragement, that representation of the mission at hand, right? And I love that he responded in this way, I don't need safety, just give me more guns, we're gonna fight these guys, all right? This is the attitude that a lot of uh, biblical leaders had. These were not people who were willing to run, but they knew that they had, they had a calling that was unavoidable, unignorable. You can't run from this. And so when I ac actually looked him up, I saw a lot of pictures of, of Zelensky wearing a soldier's uniform. And you could see him out there in the trenches next to his, his battle buddies. That's a good uh, characteristic of a leader. And so that's what we ought to look for in our churches. That's what we ought to look for. You know, people who represent Christ because how did Christ lead? In the trenches. He was there. He wasn't just dictating from afar. He was leading. He was leading like a shepherd. Okay, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But see, leaders who run away in times of difficulty are only proving, and this is very important, they're only proving that they are hirelings and not shepherds. And there's a difference between a hireling and a shepherd. Let me, let me show you John chapter 10. We haven't even got to this passage in 1 Peter. This is just the intro here. John chapter 10, 12 through 14 says this. He who is a hired hand, not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. A good shepherd doesn't run. 
right? And we have a beautiful description of what a good shepherd looks like in David too, right? He understood what it meant to it. He was willing to fight the enemy. He was willing to tear up lions, bears, and tigers, right? Or wolves. And, and then he also was willing to face a giant because he loved his sheep. He understood his responsibility. So having that in mind, a brief description of a good shepherd, not a hired hand, and an understanding that times of persecution are at hand and they demand adequate leadership. Let's get into chapter 5 of 1 Peter. Let's receive from the Lord. We're just going to focus on the first four verses. It says this. So, I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that we're able to receive this, that this is available to us. We ask that you would speak to us, Lord Jesus, that you would equip us, prepare us, Father, to know what it is that pleases you, what to look for, and why it's so important, Jesus, and, and how to help one another. For a shepherd does not stand alone, but is also part of the flock. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would help us understand something that perhaps we haven't understood before. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay, so first we'll look into the importance of church leadership. I'm going to talk a little bit about church leadership in general so you have an understanding of what elder means, etc. Okay? But I'm going to break this up uh, uh, in three, three sections here. A good shepherd must have, according to this passage, one, a vital personal experience with Christ. It's important for a leader. It's a qualification that's necessary for a leader, a spiritual leader, a vital personal experience with Christ, a loving concern for God's sheep, and a desire to please Christ alone. And we'll break that down a little bit more, but these are just three things that stick out here that we must look for in a leader. And so first, let me tell you how the New Testament church was organized with leadership, okay? So that we have just a very general, clear, basic understanding of church leadership. Churches were led by elders and deacons. These are not words that are unfamiliar to you, I hope. Elders and deacons, you can find these qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at some of those later. But the words elder, and you've probably also heard bishop, right? Bishop so-and-so, elder so-and-so, pastor so-and-so, those things are the same thing. They are the same thing. Uh, bishop and elder refer, refer to the exact same office. The word bishop, however, is translated as overseer or like a director, you could say. An elder refers more to maturity uh, of the officer. So essentially, bishop and elder, though, are the same thing and the same responsibility, but different words to kind of just uh, describe a different person, I would say. A uh, pastor also fits under the qualifications of an elder. Bishop, elder, pastor, same qualifications. Got it? Different roles within each of those. So that's important for us to know. I hope that that helps you. Um, and all in all, again, it's the same thing. And you have a shepherd also. Now, the difference of a shepherd who also falls under the umbrella of elder, another word for shepherd is what? Pastor, right? 
Uh, elders are appointed to office. It, he could be appointed by a pastor or another elder. You know, there's a consensus of who will be appointed to that. But a pastor is ordained, and there's a difference between that. A pastor, an ordination is done by a, a, a group of elders. They're appoint, he's appointed by the raising of hands. In other words, that, that group of elders have determined that this person is ready to be ordained, and to be ordained is to be called to a ministry, to care for the sheep, to teach the sheep, and to exercise oversight over them. So the pastor essentially cares for the congregation as the lead shepherd, and the elders watch over not just the congregation, but also the pastor as well. And the pastor is accountable to that group of elders. It's like a board of directors in a sense, but there's a certain list of qualifications that are required for them to do well, to lead well. Why? Because we are people. We are man. <laughs> we, are, we can't ever get it right without the Lord's discipline. And so this is why church was structured this way, church leadership. Uh, we know that James was a lead elder, so he was probably a shepherd, you know, for the church in Jerusalem, the, the lead pastor there. We know that Peter was also one because he identifies himself as a fellow elder. So he was probably a pastor as well, right? And so this is just a general picture of what church leadership looked like uh, as of the New Testament, as of um, the, the, the days of the apostles. And so um, we uh, dive into First Peter, you see that Peter was concerned about that leadership in the local churches um, because fire tra trials were coming. But here's the thing, and I want you to see this because this to me was like, wow, this is so amazing. Why was Peter so concerned about church leadership? For that, I'm going to take you to uh, John, the, the Gospel of John. I believe the last chapter in John is 21. Yes. And then Jesus and Peter have a little talk. All right. This is after the resurrection. Jesus calls Peter. They have breakfast. And look at this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Hmm. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had to ask him the third time, do you love me? Really? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show what kind of death that he was going to have to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And so if you think about this conversation that Jesus had with Peter, Jesus gave him a pretty important task. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of the flock. In other words, Jesus is calling Peter to be a pastor. Do you see this? And so that's why he's concerned of church leadership, because he's been given this responsibility as an apostle by Jesus Christ himself to make sure that the church is taken care of, that the church is being fed. And so let's break this first verse down. The vital personal experience with Christ. And we're already seeing this through Peter himself. And he says this in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you. To exhort is just to give strength and encouragement. I know that that sometimes sounds like a scary word. I exhort you, right? 
It's just to encourage someone in, in the word of God and truth. He says, I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He says, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So Peter, my, he, he firsthand observed the sufferings of Christ. He was there. He denied him thrice. He saw the whole thing happen. But I don't think that Peter's talking about that because he's, he's sharing. He's a... He's, He's uh, connecting with other fellow elders, so he's probably talking about the sufferings that they all share, the persecution that is going on, right? And he's, he's saying, hey, I understand what that is. I know Christ. He's made a huge impact in me, and I know that he's made a huge impact in you. And so we share in this. We are partakers, you know, in the glory that is going to be revealed. So the first one was a vital personal experience with Christ is absolutely necessary, important for a shepherd. What does that mean? It means that your pastor or any pastor needs to be saved. Did you know that not every pastor is saved? It's, it's, it's crazy, but it can happen. There are people who enter into leadership because they're really good leaders. And so people follow them and people trust them and they know how to manage well and they're really good with numbers and business and they're really good with talking to people, but they're far from saving grace. And it's really heartbreaking, but it can happen. It absolutely can happen. And they end up preaching a different gospel, something that is not biblical. Why? Because they don't have that vital experience with Christ. They don't even recognize the gravity of their sins. You know, it's important for us to know that Jesus is holy and our sin separates us from him. And we've had that experience where the Lord has reached out. He has uh, lifted the veils from our eyes and now we see his majesty, his glory, and we can't help but to worship him, to praise him, right? To exalt him. That's a vital experience that a shepherd must have, that an elder must have, a leader, a very, very personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Lord. Peter and Paul had this. Everyone that you see in the scriptures who led had a genuine vital experience and relationship with the Lord. This is important. A pastor must love Jesus. He must love the Lord, and you should be able to see that. You should be able to feel it, to sense it. You know, and you can tell when something's a little bit off. Right. When they make themselves a little bit more supreme or a lot more supreme than they ought to. And they don't give honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that vital experience is so important. Peter had that. Paul had that. James had that. You know, it's amazing. Jesus had that himself as a good shepherd. He had this connection with God. He prayed for him prayed uh, to him and with him. He spent time just in the presence of the Father constantly. He got away to be there, you know, to be in his presence. That's an important qualification. That is an important attribute that we need to be able to see in our leaders. And I am humbled and honored to be the one presenting this to you today. And I'm hoping that this is not the first time that you hear this from a pastor. But it may be. And I know, I know that some of you guys will one day move on and you will have to look for churches, right? As we continue and move forward in life, I want you guys to know what to look for. You know, this is vital. This is important. And so he says he's a witness of the sufferings of Jesus Christ and he is a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, which means he understands the gospel. He understands the calling. He understands that there's a reward ahead of us. Right. And so that's important for a leader, because if you're going to lead, you got to know where you're going. You've heard the term. You can't lead where you've not been. 
right? If you don't have an, import, an, a, a, an experience relationship with Jesus Christ, how am I supposed to show you how to have one too? How am I supposed to show you or tell you that God is good if I don't even know that myself? So that's the first thing that we need to have. That's the first quality that you need to find in a shepherd is a vital personal experience with Christ. The second thing, the second quality for a pastor is a loving concern for God's sheep. Look at verse 2 and 3. It says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That is loving. You think about that, that's a person who loves the congregation. That's a person who loves people. That's a person who has a loving concern for God's sheep. He says, shepherd the flock of who? Of God. This is a shepherd of your flock. <laughs> that's important. And that's very, very key because a lot of pastors will really like feel very uh, uh, controlling and like they have ownership of their congregation, right? But we know that we ought to hold everything loosely because what's God's is God. It is his, and he will do with you guys what he will do with you guys. But as long as you're here, we have a responsibility for you as well. And to do it willingly and eagerly, right? Not in a way that's demanding or controlling or just rude and evil. But to show love for you guys. And he says this, shepherd the flock of God. And this is important because if it is his flock, then at the end of the day, we're going to give account to him. And it says that here, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, because in verse 4, because the chief shepherd will appear, he'll come back. And we're going to have to give account for that. Did we love Jesus' flock well? So this is a very important qualification. Do you see the love for the congregation in your pastor? Trust me, sometimes I've wondered, you know, if my pastor cared about me. I have, and, and I'll be the first to say... We're not perfect, and this is hard, and this is why it's so important to even pastors to face these kind of things to remind us, wow, we're falling short here, right? And this is important for you to know these kind of things because you could say, pastor, do you love me? Do you even care about me? Well, trust me, that'll be a sucker punch, and it's a very important one. I will say that right now. I'll give, give you an example of just the shepherd's love. Look at Psalm 23. Most of us have that memorized, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, right? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for you are with me. Your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And what kind of description do you see there? This is a loving, caring shepherd who leads the flock in green pastures besides still waters, restores their soul, right? Do I have the ability to do that for any of you guys? No. But do you see the kind of care that a good shepherd has for the flock? That he wants them to have that sense of refreshment, that sense of nourishment, that provision that's so necessary for a lamb? This is a loving thing to do. This is a very caring thing for, do, for, for anybody to do for anybody. Amen? Look at Isaiah chapter 40 verse 11. It says this in regards to Christ being the good shepherd, the best shepherd. 
He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. Just, just look at the imagery here. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That is a loving attitude. Do you see that? That is caring. That is comforting. That's a quality of a good shepherd. And this loving attitude towards God's people, you know, someone who's not a shepherd perhaps, perhaps can't understand this. And as I have conversations with people, I see that it's like, wow, not everyone is called to be a shepherd. You know, there's some people who just are not people people. Does that make sense? And then there are some people who just can't help but to love people. <laughs> if that's you, maybe you're called to be a shepherd, right? This is a God-given attribute and you can't manufacture it because a, sh a harsh shepherd, listen to this, is not a shepherd at all. He's a dictator. And we see that often, right? A harsh leader is a dictator. And so how the question comes, so how does one shepherd the flock well in a way that's loving and caring? And, and it's right here in, in chapter, in verse two, he says, exercise oversight. The word oversight, again, refers to being a bishop or an elder, or a pastor to oversee one who looks over for the purpose of leading. The shepherd is both among the sheep and over the sheep, which is a very interesting situation here. The first thing that I thought about this to kind of understand this, you know, I'm in the sheep and also over the sheep, which is an interesting combination. I recently came across a dog trainer online and his methods are very interesting to me. Uh, people bring dogs to him that can't uh, behave themselves with people or other dogs. And it's very interesting, his method, he has a Doberman. He's super big and he named him Prince. It's a beautiful dog, and that dog is just at this person's command, always. And so they bring these terrible, troubled dogs to him, and he uses Prince, his Doberman, to train the other dog. And so when the other dog gets aggressive with the pack and with the, 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 the alpha, the alpha puts him in place, but always ready to receive a command from his, off, from his boss, from, from his owner. And I love that description because even though this is the alpha dog and this is the one who's going to lead the pack, he's always attentive and listening to the command of his master. Over here, you know? And immediately that dog responds. This is a good picture of what a shepherd is like. It's someone who's leading, but he's also among the flock, right? But also constantly listening to the direction of Jesus Christ because we're leading for his name's sake, not for ours. Exercising oversight looks like that. And again, we're not compared to a pack. We're compared to a flock. <laughs> All right, this is just the, 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 the most at-hand example that I had there to kind of explain this. And so how does this work? We do it without, this is not under compulsion, which means we're not forced to do this. We don't do this because we have to, right? We do this because we love to. You know, we do this because we have this calling, this burden in our hearts to do that, not under compulsion. We're not forced to do it. We're not strapped to do it at any time. We can just say, I'm done, right? But we continue because of the love that we have for the congregation. That's why any pastor would continue. Trust me, being a pastor is not a luxurious life. <laughs> and we'll talk about that too. So not under compulsion. And it should not be a job that has to be performed. This is not me being someone that I'm not. What you see up here is who I am. Okay? You know, let's have dinner and find out for yourself. And sometimes I'm not feeling good. And I think you can tell when I'm not feeling good. I hope that you can. And so look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6. This is Paul saying, 
not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond service of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And you know, I've realized that sometimes it may look like people pleasing, and sometimes it can get that way, but a lot of times it's like, man, I just really want to help you. I just really want to serve you. I just really want to do something for you. And that's sometimes hard uh, to understand, but this is the heart that you see shepherds have, elders have, people who have been called to lead. And it also says, not for shameful gain, do you see that there? Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Making money should definitely not be the motive for being a pastor. I am telling you, <laughs> that is not the motive for being a pastor but eagerly. Now, is there such thing as shameful game? A absolutely. But let me say something to you. It is perfectly proper for the church to pay a pastor. I have had several conversations with people in the past that they have a problem with tithings and offerings because they think that the pastor is going to pocket it. Well, let me tell you, yeah, there's a process, right? But it's true that the pastor does get paid from that. And that's perfectly biblical. Let me show you 1 Timothy chapter 5, 17 through 18. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. That laborer deserves his wages. Those are Jesus' words. All right, so it's okay for the pastor to get paid, but not for shameful gain, right? But eagerly. We still have our needs that need to be met, but we're not trying to get rich. And I promise you, there are people out there who are trying to get rich that they'll ask their congregations even for airplanes. All right? And for you to give and give and give and give, and the Lord will bless you because I need a Bentley or an airplane. That's, that is not biblical. That is not a quality of a good shepherd. You see that? So not for shameful gain, but eagerly, willingly. And uh, that's with great desire, you know. I just, I gotta do this. I don't know how I'm gonna make it this week, but I gotta do this. You know, this is not why I do this because I'm looking to rack up the money. I'm doing this because I really wanna see the kingdom of God be expanded. I wanna see people come to saving grace and to have a genuine relationship that is unwavering with Jesus Christ. And then he says, um, in a, Continuing verse three, it says, not domineering, but an example. Now this is the contrast between dictatorship and leadership. You cannot drive sheep, you must go before them. This is why the comparison with sheep is so important. You have to lead sheep. Uh, you know, you probably heard this, you know, we're compared to sheep, you know, so many times. Did you know that sheep are kind of dumb? Sheep are kind of dumb. They can't find their way home sometimes. They need someone to lead them. They can't even find the green pastures. If some wolf or dangerous animal shows up, they don't even know they have no ability to fight. All they can do is scatter around like lunatics, you know? They need a shepherd. They need someone to lead them, to, to care for them, <laughs> you know? And so you don't domineer over sheep. You lead them. You tell them, come on, guys, <laughs> you know? And so you've got to be willing to be an example uh, and that's what it says. It's not me saying, hey, you guys need to go and evangelize people and do the things and do all the things and do all the things and give all the money and do all the things and do all the projects and help all the people. I'm going to watch you. I'm just going to sit around and do it. No, no, no. We have to be there. We have to be present. We have to be an example of all those things. And I hope that we, as a people of God, keep each other accountable for that, for that, those kind of things. And you absolutely have the ability to do that with your pastor. Amen? All right, and so you've heard, <clears throat> I think, 
enough of what's going here. Again, if you have more questions, you can ask. I'll also give you uh, some passages as to how you can look at some more of these qualifications. But the third and final thing that I want to hit on here is uh, quality for a good pastor is a desire to please Christ alone. Right? And that's in verse 4, and I'll show you how we get this. A desire to please Christ alone. And it says this in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Wow, that means that he's going to come back and give account for his flock. He gave a responsibility to the shepherd. The chief shepherd is going to come and ask, how are my sheep doing? You know, and so if we're a good shepherd, our desire is to please God knowing, hey, this, these are his sheep. I'm going to do my best with his sheep, right? Because he who leads is held to a higher standard and the, the punishment will be more severe. Trust me, like not a day goes by when I don't think about that. <laughs> I'm praying and I'm thinking about you guys. And I'm thinking, Lord, you're giving me this responsibility that sometimes I don't even feel like I'm, I'm equipped for this. How am I supposed to do this, you know? And so this is where I counted his grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ that's gracious to us and gives us an opportunity for redemption, right? And so I love that about my God. And so a desire to please Christ is everything that should drive a shepherd because when the chief priest appears, once again, Peter gives mention to this promise of the Lord's return. Very, very consistent with 1 Peter, Right? This really strikes a chord with me, and I want to sh share this passage with you in Matthew. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. And this is a parable that Jesus shared. And I, I want to look at it with you guys. You're probably getting bored and getting tired, but this is important stuff. Hang in there. Matthew chapter 25, 14 through 30, it says this. For it will be like a man going on a journey. Who has, who has called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each one according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went and at once traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid, it, hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents and uh, five talents more, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents here. I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 22. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had also received that one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard, ma hard man. Reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what it's yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scatter no seed? 
then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10. For to everyone who has will be given, for, I'm sorry, for to everyone who has will, will more be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even that what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, into the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This parable is so essential. It's so important. The Lord has given us a responsibility. He expects us to do more with it, right? He expects, expects us to work it, to grow it, to do something. This is a heavy responsibility, and sometimes I have no idea how it works because there's nothing I can do to save people. I have nothing as far as my own wisdom to share with you. I have nothing instructive or productive to tell you. All I have is my personal share of experiences, but I wasn't called to that. I was called to preach the word of God. And this is what 1 Peter chapter 5, 4, or 1 through 4 says. And so this is what I'm delivering to you, right? Whether we like it or not, this is the word of God. And I will have a one day to stand in front of him and I hope with all my heart that I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And he will ask you that too. Because each of you will have been given a talent. Each of you have been given something to work off of. All right? This is not just the work of the pastor. For everyone has been called into the commission, to the mission of Jesus Christ to make disciples of all nations. And so what will the Lord say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant or away with him to a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the result of this parable is just so crazy to me because I feel like the consequence of being slothful and wicked was so extreme. And so we think, man, God is mean. No, the fact that he gave us an opportunity to work for him and do his will in itself is far more gracious than we can imagine because everyone was already destined for destruction. Everyone deserved that in the first place. But God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, right? And because he died for us, because he cared for us, because he was such a good shepherd for us, we have the opportunity. We've been giving this precious and beautiful gift to be able to work for him, for the expansion of his kingdom, and for an opportunity to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so it's important for all of us to know what the Lord requires of his leaders, what the Lord's looking for his people. And I hope that this is helpful because today, a Christian worker may labor for different reasons and not these that we've just mentioned. They may labor to uh, build personal empires, popularity, celebrity status. How many celebrity pastors have we seen and gone? You know, they labor for financial promotion, status, etc. You know, ultimately, we need to focus on him. All of us, when we are living here, we're living for his glory, not for ours. And so that's why we're here. All things will fade away. At the end of the day, all we'll have is an opportunity to face them and to be judged. Amen? And so I want to leave you with these three takeaways. First, a pastor must be qualified. How do you know if a pastor is qualified? Write this down. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. Titus chapter 1, 5 through 9. You know what? I have, a, I have a little bit of time. I'm going to read one of these for, for you. I know you guys are thinking, oh, he's going long today. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. 
in Titus chapter 1. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. All right. Also read uh, the, the Titus 1, chapter 1, 5, 9. I'll leave that for you as homework. Amen? But a pastor must be qualified and qualified according to God's word, not your preferences. That's important for you to know. Takeaway two, a pastor must love God's people. He must love God's people. Jeremiah 3.15 says, And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Why would a pastor do that? Because a pastor wants you to know truth, wants you to continue to develop a relationship with God so that you're not tossed back and fro like the waves in, in, the, in the sea, right? A pastor does this because it's, it's a love, a, a desire for you to stand firm that at the end of the day, you too will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? I love you enough that I want you to grow in truth and not to stay where you are, right? So a pastor must love God's people. Look at Philippians 1.8. This is Paul. He says this, For God is my witness who I yearn for you with all affection of Jesus Christ. Paul loved his people. He loved his flock. He yearned for them. He had affection for them. He wanted to be with them. Put it in this way, to do ministry well, you don't have to just love people. You have to like them too. <laughs> You know, and that gets tricky because there's moments where it's like, oh, I'm a little bit tired of people right now. But nevertheless, that is a requirement. And we see it a good example here. So we have to love them. We have to care for them. We have to want to be with them. You know, a pastor must have a love for God's people, his people. Amen. At the end of the day, we're accountable to him. And take away number three this is the final one a pastor must be pleasing to god everything that we do must be pleasing to him to please him not you all right and it is pleasing to him to have this order too first a relationship with christ then our spouse our family kids right and then you guys so there will be moments where your pastor will say i have to cancel with you because i have to take care of my kids all right that is pleasing to the lord it's not all about you unfortunately all right <laughs> and we're not massage therapists. We're more personal trainers where, hey, this is what the word of the Lord says. I want you to grow to be able to feed yourself. You know, we can't be there and be like, oh, pobrecito. All the time we are to please the Lord, please the Lord. And that's, that's not pleasing to him. Right. It's pleasing to him to equip people for the battle that's ahead, for the trial that's ahead. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. So whether we are at home or away, can you put 1 Corinthians chapter 5 up there? 
So that we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, to please the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Again, we're accountable to the Lord. We must please him first and foremost. And with that, I just want to emphasize the fact that the trial is here. Fiery trials are at hand. We are to be mobilized into the, 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 the commission that has been given to us to go and make disciples of all nations. That's an action word. Go. Verb. To do it. Go. Right? And some of us are more willing than others, but nevertheless, you know, you're not alone. Like, this is why it's good to be part of a church, to be part of a community where we can lean on one another. And hopefully, hopefully I'm doing a good job at this calling. And again, I want you to know that you have an open door to just have a conversation with me if there's any questions, comments, or concerns that you may have. But nevertheless, this is a privilege that the Lord God Almighty has given him or him who is a pastor, an elder, an overseer. And it's important for you to understand this as a congregation. Who knows? Maybe one day you will be an elder. Gentlemen, maybe one day you will be a pastor, right? And maybe one day, women, wives, you'll be the helper of one. Ooh. <laughs> like, what? Think about that. That's very possible if we're moving according to God's will. Of course, not all are called to that, but you never know. And so it's important for us to understand the qualifications to know this. And so I hope that this was a benefit from you. I hope that you see why I just can roll past this. These first four verses of 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that you have been gracious to us to give us leaders, Lord Jesus, people that we can um, really be instructed by, that we can uh, just come to, to learn, to grow in your word. Father, I pray for every pastor, Lord Jesus, that is serving you today. I ask, Father, that you would continue to build them, to correct them, to grow them, to use them, Lord Jesus, for your glory, for the expansion of your kingdom, that you would bring conviction where it is needed, that you would bring repentance where it is needed, Lord, and that you would encourage those who are hurting right now. If we could just take a moment and pray for pastors, any pastors that you may have in mind, congregation, church, just pray for a pastor that you may know, someone who's an elder, someone who's an overseer, Let's just pray for them. Sometimes we're so quick to judge them, to point our fingers. But God, we ask that you would do something amazing through the leadership of the church, that we would lead by example, and that we would ultimately move, Father, be mobilized to your glory. Because we know, Father, that we're accountable to you, and it is your flock that we're ministering to. And so, Lord, thank you for your word. We ask that you would continue to grow us as individuals, that this, this, this flock of sheep, Jesus, would be well-led. And Lord, we know that it will be if we cling to you, the chief shepherd. So we do that in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.